hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. It's fine. Welcome, everyone, to The John Chu Show. It's your boys, KJ, Nathan, Patrick, here with an episode with Ooh. an interview. Um, interview. In, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's been a while. Like, everything was messed while. up, but it's nice uh, it's nice having, like, the more kind of regular solos and interviews in interspersed. We're not doing only interviews or only solos, so I like this room. But, uh, fellas, how are you doing? Great. Except for uh, the sicknesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of sickness running around your house. Doesn't ever leave. Yeah, yeah, what the heck, man? I don't know. It's the time of the year. It's that time. It's yeah. that season. And you have kids, so yeah. yeah. I have little cesspools running around. <laughs> <laughs> little cesspools yes. is the name of Nathan's kids. Yeah, the when they're older, they're gonna listen back and go, "What? You call me a cesspool?" <laughs> that is a good band name, the Little Cesspools. <laughs> is it? Right. Uh, <laughs> But Patrick, you are uh, you know in a different room, which we we yeah, commented moving on. Moving into your so house, you, yeah, it looks yes, like you're moving, moving in, in, getting comfortable. Yep. Just uh, it is comfortable. I actually like this space that we're at right now. It was the catch-all room, and this weekend Emily and I uh, tackled it and got all the boxes taken care of and everything kind of set up the way we wanted it up here. And yeah, feeling good, feeling good about that for sure. Gonna put some glowing dark stars on the ceiling. No glow in the dark stars on the ceiling yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a projector. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's because it's so angled. I feel like it needs. Because no, definitely it. the ones that you got when you were a kid and you just on the glow screen or whatever. No, yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. How are you cool. doing, KJ? Uh, I'm good. I recently accepted a new job so bam, bam, bam. real real spoiler alert alert um, old job spoiler alert spoiler old alert job. KJ's old job <laughs> he got a new one <laughs> oh my gosh Nathan that's my favorite joke of yours that you've ever yeah, told uh, you. thank you <laughs> knock that one out of the park uh, yeah so I'm, I'm gonna be a web developer for the Choctaw Nation uh, which is a uh, Native American tribe uh, in Southeast Oklahoma. So that's exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm really really excited. It's it's really like a a dream job to be able to use the skills to be in a career that I want to be in to be able to use my skills to again like just bring people together and especially for um, for a Native tribe. I think it's really cool. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, and thanks. I'm very excited about this interview. Um, when, when Kim filled out our form and we kind of were reviewing it before we interviewed her, I was just like, oh man, this is going to be an incredible story. And it really is. I think it's, um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's really good. It's like the, I, I, I'm literally running out of words. Um, it's good. Yeah, no, it's just, it's good. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, Kim's really vulnerable. I think, I think yes. that's the thing that really like stood out to me. Um, she's really vulnerable and she goes into, I mean, like a lot of her, uh, pain her experiences growing up um, and she has the privilege of at this point being able to like kind of bring that chapter to a close and so mm -hmm. it is it's a really full rich story so yeah. yeah 
And before we roll to it, just want to give a content and trigger warning that there are mentions of suicide, attempted suicide uh, within this conversation. Um, so just wanted to give anybody a heads up prior to going in. Uh, but Nathan, do you have any thoughts before we roll to the interview? No, excellent. Uh, it was excellent speaking with her. So yeah, roll it in. All right, here we go. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview portion. Very excited to have our guest on today. Uh, I'm going to ask my fellow co-host to welcome Kim Park to the show. Kim, thanks for joining us here. Welcome. I think we've been trying to schedule you with, with you for a little bit. Is that right? Or is this a new scheduling occurrence? I think it was pretty solid. Yeah. A couple months, maybe, right? Yeah. Only a couple months. Only We're a couple months. Down. We did it. We're cutting <laughs> the lead time down. It was about six months. Ooh, yeah. that's a more than a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a generous couple. <laughs> I was being nice to myself, but thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, well, Kim, excited to have you on. Excited to learn more about your story and be able to share it with our audience here. So, as we start off all of our shows, would love to ask you to share as much or as little of your story as you like. Okay. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, six months kind of went by a little fast. So, you know, Nathan did pretty good. Not bad. Um, He's great at it. Yeah, super good. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I'll start where most people start. Um, on record, it says that I was born in May 1985. It was a really cool, calm spring day, right? Um, it says that in the paper? No, yes. absolutely not. We opened on a cool, calm spring day in South Korea. Like, wow. Like, I was like, this is very, wow, this is the most descriptive paper ever. You have a screenplay right. for Imagine. your documents? That would have been pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, on record, it says I was born in May 1985, and um, I was born in Chonin, and I went to Eastern Social Welfare, and I stayed with a foster mother in Daejeon. Is that the right pronunciation? Not sure. But um, I stayed with her. And then six months later, I was adopted to the States um, to a white uh, couple in New York. And so I lived in New York, this place probably like an hour and change north of Manhattan. So it wasn't too, too far. Um, and I grew up in like this typical suburban neighborhood. And I was the only Asian kid on the block. Because that was like the really cool thing you wanted to do back then. Um, and then so I spent most of my childhood there. And I eventually moved out when I was 15. Um, and that kind of led me to live in other places. Um, and so I actually was able to graduate high school, surprisingly, even though I was really close to failing. But that year... Uh, crazy enough, um, they messed up the regents' exams for math, and everybody who failed, they passed with a 65. Ooh. So that's literally how I graduated high school. All right. <laughs> um, I had a really hard time living in that neighborhood. Um, so I lived near people who would kind of harass me and bully me on the street. Um, so little things like riding your bike down the street, neighbors would come out and call me, um, a Chinese bastard. 
um, and they would make all these really harsh uh, racial slurs. Um, but, you know, I was so young, I didn't really know what the hell that meant. You know, you just kind of say, oh, OK, you just don't ride your bike there anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so and then, of course, you know, with peers my age, that was really hard, too. Um, but um, I don't want to forget the, the parts where um, the upbringing I had was really challenging. Um, back then, I didn't know what it was. In fact, I don't think a lot of people knew what it was. But um, the adoptive parents were hoarders. So I did live in a very, like, filthy, unsanitary, unhealthy environment, um, which led to a lot of different things as well. Um, so I had a lot of health issues growing up. And I didn't really receive medical care like that. So there was a lot of like medical neglect. Um, so what else can I say about them? Um, they actually separated. Um, and I, the adopted father had passed away from cancer. Um, but he also struggled with alcoholism as well. Um, and the adopted mother had left. So, you know, to be in a relationship and so on and so forth. And then we lost contact after that. So um, there was nobody else in the house except um, uh, the adoptive father, myself, and his mother actually stayed with us for a bit. Um, and that was really challenging on top of everything else I was going on. You know, I would have to like share a bed with her and it was just awkward and um, it was just strange. So, um, you know, a lot of like, uh, abuse was happening as well. And I actually didn't find out I was adopted until like seven-ish. And that was just kind of like by accident, I think. There was this big adult argument going on and it came out like, oh, you know, you're adopted like because your mother didn't want you. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, what do you do with that information at that age? You're like, all right. Um, but I was really into school at the time too. And like many others, I was put into a Catholic school, um, because everybody wanted to wear like that really cute outfit. Right. And, um, match. That's true. I've heard many people okay. say they love uniforms. <laughs> the, the white, the, the white polo shirt or the red polo shirt. With like the plaid the, skirt. The, yeah. The plaid or the pleated pants. Just well, the navy yeah, blue yeah. pants. Yeah. <laughs> Ours was blue, blue plaid and with like a light blue, uh, polo yeah it was really light blue yeah it was like and like really <laughs> ugly shoes <laughs> so um i stayed there till about sixth grade and then there um the pastor of the school ended up being fired because he was using money to fund his alcohol addiction mm. so i was pulled from there and i entered a public school which i mean was complete hell I mean, I think that's the best way I could describe it. Um, so in Catholic school, I faced a lot of like bullying from the educators. And then in public school, I faced um, bullying from my peers more often. Um, I think being one of like five Asian faces in the school didn't help at all. And this was before, you know, Asian culture became a thing. So, yeah, that was pretty tricky. Um, and during this time, it was so turbulent for me. Um, not just like with the home environment, but I was like running away a lot. I was fighting a lot. I just didn't know where all this anger was coming from. And I may look innocent, but back then I was gangster. Like I would fight anybody. 
<laughs> like I was just ready to throw down, uh, which unfortunately led to my suspension and I had to go to an alternative school for a bit. Um, but yeah, your form said you you'd grab anything metal or something. <laughs> was, I was yeah, like, wood's Dang. not going to cut it, Nathan, obviously. Yeah, wood wasn't <laughs> strong enough. It needed to be like the metal locks that you would put on lockers. It had to be desks. It had to be chairs. Um, you know, even like textbooks, even WWE battle royale stuff. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. it definitely was. Someone's always yelling, give her the chair. Give her a chair. Give her Where'd you chair? come from? <laughs> Just a person walking by in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. Give her a chair. Like, we're in the middle of study hall. We're reading. Everyone is reading. It's so quiet. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so yeah. Um, and, you know, once I got older and would reflect back on um, the younger years, I would think, how come nobody found this alarming, this behavior troubling? Um, because I would go to school in dirty clothes. I would look really disheveled all the time because I couldn't bathe. I, I wasn't being um, properly cared for. Um, you could tell that I would be hungry, right? So, Because uh, that was another thing I would experience is um, uh, a padlock was put on the refrigerator and um, if I opened a cabinet, I would get my ass whooped. So it just taught me that I couldn't really ask anybody for help, but I also didn't know how to ask for help, right? Mm. But then as I got older, I was like, wait a second, how come CPS wasn't called? Nobody like rang the alarm, like something's not right here. Um, so yeah. Um, so anyway, fast forward, I did move out of the adoptive father's house when I was 15. And I moved in with a friend um, and their family for a little bit. Um, so that that kind of helped in a way because it also exposed me to what a healthier family environment looked like looked like as well. And they were all intact. As, um, so it was really mind blowing for me. Um, and then from there, I was able to just kind of graduate high school by the skin of my teeth. Um, I did go to this really crappy community college uh, because they had a dorm. So I figured, oh, it, you know, I don't have to pay for an apartment or whatever. And I ended up going there for a semester. And then I dropped out um, because I started getting harassed by people on campus. Uh, so I ended up leaving. And so what? That's 18. And then I decided what? Um, do smart 18 year olds do? They relocate to a whole new state with no real plan. And that's exactly what I did. I moved to California. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved to California and I, I tried to start this life because, you know, uh, being young, immature, and stupid, I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I can do. So I was doing like stupid jobs, you know, like childcare and uh, being a waitress. I was the worst waitress. <laughs> just, just like hands down, the absolute worst. Like I would bring their food just shaking because <laughs> I was just so nervous all the time. <laughs> Um, and I think they pitied me, so they would tip me because, like, oh, this poor girl is so nervous. Like, here's five dollars. Um, <laughs> so I stayed there for a little bit. It wasn't really working out. Cali wasn't really my scene. Um, so I ended up moving to uh, Chicago from there. And I really liked Chicago, so I stayed there for a couple years, one like three years. Um, again, doing like these dead end jobs. I even worked for um, what's it called, Save the Children, as like a mm. solicitor. And it was just awful. <laughs> it was awkward. Just like, here, do you want to pay for this child? I don't know. It was hard uh. for me to try to sell. Um, and, you know, <laughs> thinking about that, I was like, 
was I trying to like traffic children? I don't know. But um, anyway, so I stayed there for a bit. Um, and then ultimately what uh, kind of brought me back to New York was a relationship. And then um, that brought me back. And so I just kind of dove into trying to figure myself out. And I had, didn't return to college. I just kind of left it where it was. I'm just going to be a college dropout. It's fine. And then um, I don't think it was until like 23, 24, where I really started questioning my existence. Um, you know, like, where did I come from? And like, is the story I was told growing up true? And mm. did my mother really not want me and all these things? So I um, did have some information, but it wasn't like the adoption name or anything like that. So I decided... Google was great. And I went and searched up all the international adoption agencies and um, the agencies in New York that handled international adoptions. And that kind of narrowed it down. So I emailed everybody and was like, hey, do you know me? This is the information I have, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, I got some responses and they happened to be Eastern and then Parsons Mm. in Albany. Um, which is now Northern Rivers, I think. Hmm. So, yeah, so I had started contact with Eastern. And of course, they said, we can't talk to you directly. It has to come through Parsons. And so it was just kind of back and forth with them. And I actually got information pretty quickly. I think the turnaround was about three months. And they just sent me back this little blurb that said, hey, uh, this is your case number. The lady in the picture, um, we're not sure who she is. Uh, you were born at this hospital and your parents had separated. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> what do I do with this now? <laughs> so I remember bringing it back to press. It's like, okay, so what do we do now? Like, what's my next step? And I had no idea that I could find other adoptees to even begin talking about this. So I was turning to people, you know, within my support system was like, hey, guess what I found out? And hey, this and this. And people were just like, all right. <laughs> they didn't have any information yeah. for me. You know? Like that's the so. response I wanted. Dead silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was so validating. I do love crickets. <laughs> yeah. Another dead end. Um, so yeah. So anyway, I just kind of moved on and like life just kind of exploded from there. I was like, you know, experiencing a lot of depression, um, which when I was a child, I didn't realize or a teenager, I didn't realize I was experiencing depression as well. You know, so I definitely had um, like bouts of severe depression where I wanted to commit suicide. And I remember the youngest time was when I was 10. And it was just the thought of like, oh, I don't want to live. I just don't want to be here. So I would like uh, break fragile items like glass or something. And then I would just like cut my skin and just see how far I could go. Um. Again, like nobody thought that was problematic. So, um, yeah, and I think it boiled over in my 20s, you know, finding out that there is information about my history out there that I couldn't get any further than just a stupid email (laughs) with one paragraph. Um, And then I didn't really have a great network in my life to help me kind of piece stuff together if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that kind of led me down like another path of like self-destruction. 
um, just placing myself in really risky, dangerous situations. And I didn't value my life. I didn't care. I didn't think I had any value as a human. And um, yeah, so I tried taking my life seriously when I was 16. And um, obviously it didn't work, <laughs> you know, uh, but I knew what it meant this time. So, um, and I'm sorry if it seems like I'm bouncing all over, uh, but it's like difficult to talk about certain things. Um, yeah, there's like a little bit of shame connected to these memories, you know, like, damn, why? If somebody had just helped me or, you know, just saw me in pain, mm. you know, that was like really hard for me. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was in this serious relationship. It exploded. It was like one of those things where it was like great until it wasn't. And, um, a lot of things were going on. And then, um, I kind of left the birth family stuff alone. I was like, ah, it's a dead end. Like I just give up for now. But I think at the time I didn't have the bandwidth to carry it anymore mm. by myself. So anyway, um, yeah, when I was 29, I was pretty much at a crossroads where I was convinced that my existence didn't matter at all. No matter what I did, who I spoke to, how loving or caring or whatever I was, which really just meant I was a people pleaser and overachiever. Um, because during that time, I did obtain a master's degree. And then I went on to get another master's degree because, you know, accolades meant something. So. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I ended up trying to commit suicide at 29 and I remember being at the hospital and this nurse came up to me and said, you don't belong here. And I was like, wow, nobody's ever told me that before. You know, just meaning like you just, I didn't take it as, you don't physically belong here in this mm -hmm. building, but like, you just don't belong here in this dark place, like in this sad place in life. And I took that to heart and then, you know, um, miraculously, like I was released. I kind of fought a little bit with the psychiatrist, to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I was released. And so I remember walking out to my car, trying not to run too fast. You know, I didn't want them to see like, oh, she was excited. <laughs> I just remember trying to walk really fast, but not make it obvious that I was running out of there. It's and chill, but I'm sprinting. <laughs> right. Exactly. Your arms are pumping. <laughs> exactly. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back. Exactly. Don't look back at all. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I, I, I walk out to the parking lot, I walk to the car, and I remember just sitting in the car thinking, holy shit, I just made it out of there. And I had this moment of um, overwhelming hope. And um, I don't really know how else that could happen for me at that time of life, because I was so hopeless mm. for so long. Um, and then, you know, I, I attribute it to like my relationship with God now and like, you know, him uh, finding me at this specific time in my life, um, which really led to, you know, meeting other people in terms of I wasn't looking to connect with people 
who were religious. I don't even like the term religious, but <laughs> um, but I ended up getting this job as a teacher and meeting somebody. We became really good friends. They're like, hey, just come, blah, blah, blah. I was like, nah, I'm not about that life, like whatever. <laughs> so anyway, I started going and um, it was really weird because my first question to the pastors were like, so what do I need to do to be initiated? <laughs> 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 and they just kind of looked at me and they're like, what kind of question is that? I was like, well, this is kind of like, you know, culty, isn't it? Like, what's the catch? Nothing. Like, well, we have tax breaks. Like, <laughs> are you sure there's nothing? And they're like, oh, hey, you know, you can fill out this form. Just put your name, your number, whatever. We're not going to stalk you or anything. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And they're like, okay. They didn't really push it. I, occasionally, they would kind of come up to me and be like, so are you going to fill out that connect card? And I was like, nope. <laughs> so I would just kind of go whenever I wanted. I didn't really want to establish myself there because I was really afraid of what could come of that. And then coming from like, um, like the super strict, like Catholic background as well, I had already had it in my head of exactly what it would look like. But meanwhile, like the pastors are wearing ripped jeans, they're dressing pretty cool. And it's like, I'm surrounded by people of color. And I was just like, wow, this is not a Catholic church. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was pretty um, blown away by that. Um, but just because I had, you know, started to kind of like dip my feet into the faith world, it didn't mean that things resolved overnight or that everything made sense all of a sudden. I definitely struggled for like a year after, um, you know, around my 30th birthday too. you know, just like, wow. Again, just like that deep sadness, you know, and then I would think about the letters, the goodbye letters I would write to people and just you know, just offering a lot of apologies of I couldn't be a better person. I couldn't be a better friend. And clearly I didn't know how to be a daughter because why else would my birth parents leave me or not want me, you know, and then to be adopted by people who clearly didn't want me or, and just mistreated me and so on and so forth. So I really was good at convincing myself of all the reasons why I was unlovable, you know? So, um, yeah, I guess we can spring forward a little bit because um, I recently went to Korea for the first time, which mm. was absolutely wild. So I feel like the timing of us doing this is pretty good. Mm. All right. Yeah. When did you <laughs> go to Korea? Um, I went in November. Yeah. Of I was last year? No, this year. Oh, like a month ago? Oh, wow. I, was <laughs> oh, like, I, hope it wasn't a, I hope it wasn't in October because I was also there. <laughs> That's no, awesome. no, it was November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there for the first time. I actually went with two friends of mine, not non-CAD, not adopted. And I figured, oh, you know, like my two close girlfriends, we can go. It'll be great, awesome. No, it was a shit time. Mm. Um, it, it, I wasn't prepared for the complexities that were gonna like meet me face to face. I had done so much preparation. I was taking Korean lessons for a year up to that point. I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I can have like a baby conversation and, you know, order food politely and do lots of bowing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the three essentials, the baby conversation, <laughs> food, bow. Exactly. And I had this whole list of things like we all wanted to do. So, and oh my gosh, it was just a complete nightmare. Um, 
and I, I, it's not like I want to blame anybody specifically. It was just hard for all of us to navigate whatever I was experiencing. Mm. And I was frustrated because I couldn't find words to explain what I was feeling. Um, and I remember when the plane hit the tarmac right away, I started crying. And I didn't think I was going to cry, but it was immediate. And so there was this baby on the plane, by the way, who was crying. And I thought, did I cry when I came on the plane to America? Mm. Like, if I did, who held me? You know, like, did they care enough to hold me? Or they were just like, every man for himself on this flight, you know? Um, but yeah, so it was pretty emotional from the get-go. And um, I had made a plan to go visit Goal in person. Like it was kind of last minute because I didn't email them until a week before I was leaving and was like, hey, by the way, if you happen to read this by this date, I would like to meet in person. Um, and uh, they did. So I was able to meet them in person. And I remember being so pissed off that I couldn't find their building <laughs> and going up to so many people on the street. Like, do you know where this is? Like, Where is this? Tell me which direction. And one guy was like, oh, yeah, it's literally right here in front of you. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Duh! You're like they didn't prepare me for this in bowing class. I don't know how to get, <laughs> yeah, correct, right. get directions. That's not what a bow well. Exactly. <laughs> Dumb class. So I get in there, and it says like eighth floor, and we get in this elevator, and it it only went to the fourth floor. And I was like, no. "What the hell? This can't be the right building." And I just felt so defeated at that point. I just sat in the lobby, just pouting like a child, like this isn't gonna work out. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know. Um, but anyway, my friend actually found it. It's a different elevator elevator that went from like eight to twelve. Mm. I was like, who who does stuff like that? <laughs> Koreans. <laughs> yeah, apparently we do. Yeah. So you get up there, I meet them, we sit down, and I immediately start crying, like uncontrollably, that deep soul cry that you feel. I couldn't catch my breath and I couldn't speak. And I was just shaking with all my paperwork in my hand. And then I just was like, please help me. Um, so we were able to, you know, talk it through. And they were like, oh, okay, like, so we're going to call Eastern. We're going to see if we can get you an appointment. We can't guarantee it, but we'll see what happens. Like, sure. So we leave. Um, and Mind you, I had made like 150 flyers that I was ready to post up in Chonin. Like, have you seen me? Do you know me? And um, they were like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. You're the professionals. Um, so, yeah, it was actually the next day that I was able to go to Eastern with the goal social worker. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad she was there because she held my hand through the whole thing and kept me from wanting to leap across across the table and just rip the paperwork out of this lady's hands and just have a complete meltdown in the office. But um, the social worker was very nice. You know, like she was very apologetic, which I don't think she really knew what else to say. Um, she actually reviewed the file with me, pretty much everything except the case notes, which outlined oh, hey, this is the birth parents' names, locations, and phone numbers. Um, they did say that I had um, three older sisters and a younger brother. Oh, wow. And as far as they knew, I was the only child adopted. Mm. 
um, and that the parents actually didn't split up at the time. So they're really not sure how that information got, you know, mixed up. Um, they confirmed the lady in the photo I have is the foster mother. And I did ask like, oh, hey, can you find her? They're like, you do know she was 42 at the time. Like she might be, we don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they said that they've called several times and the birth father keeps like angrily like click (laughs) and hang up the phone. Um, I didn't know that they actually contacted the birth mother until that visit. Um, and she said that when she called, the, the lady had said, oh, no, like, I have all my children with me. That's, I don't know who that is. Mm. And um, that was really interesting. And so the social worker was like, listen, this is not unusual. Uh, we're going we're gonna to send them a letter because sometimes that'll help birth parents really marinate on it a bit. Like, all right, cool. Tell them I don't want anything now. Like, I don't want their money. I don't care about their land. I don't want their goats. Like, whatever they have, I'm not interested in, right? Um, so, yeah. So then we were going through the record, and there was this letter in there. And I was like, oh, what is that? And she says, oh, that's um, a handwritten letter from your adopted mother to the mother. And I was like, no, burn it. Just get it out of the record. And she just kept asking, like, why, why, you know, like, how come? And I was like, if there's anything you could do for me right now, <laughs> I just need you to get rid of that letter. Burn mm-hmm. it, shred it, do something. Um, and she was like, okay, okay. She took it out. For all I know, she probably put it back in the file. I don't know. But um, the goal worker did ask uh, to get copies of information, and they actually did give me copies. So I was able to leave mm. with something that I could touch and feel. I feel I was like, yeah, I have something. Like, this feels like a win. Because um, I've heard some people don't get anything. Exactly. Yeah. And I was expecting for them to say, yeah, no, you can't have any copies of this. This is sacred information. Um, but a lot of what was in the record, like I had seen in my immigration record as well. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, but the things I didn't see were the pre-adoption assessment and, a, you know, their little evaluation and then post or like right before adoption, which I think they called like post-adoption or something like that. And um, I remember reading some of it and it does have the father's family name listed and it has the mother's family name listed. Um, I didn't know the mother's family name, but I found out it was Kim <laughs> and then the father's is Park, right? Um, I legally changed my name to my um, uh, Korean given name, just with the exception of keeping Kim as like mm. my first. And then my uh, Korean name would be my middle and then Park be my last. So it was kind of like strange to know, oh my gosh, like the family name is Kim. That's crazy. And then here I am like Kim Park. It's weird. It was such mm-hmm. a weird moment for me. Um but also to find out that I had these siblings out there that existed, or I think they exist. It's, you know, and then I come up with all these stories. Like, was I like, just like, did my birth mother have an affair? <laughs> you know? And then was I like, I don't know. Right. But the mind goes to that place. Um, so yeah, anyway, reviewing the documentation and it says that, you know, it's very hungry all the time. 
and I love naps, which is still true today. <laughs> and um, um, I think one of the things in the papers that really got me was that um, it says that I was a very lovable baby and that I would seek out the foster mother all the time and I would hold her hand and um, that they believed I would do really well in a, a loving family, ultimately. And I was like, this is a crack of shit. So, um, yeah, and then Goal and I, we had a conversation. They're like, listen, we'll just, all we can do now is wait and see what happens. Um, and then they explained their process with using flyers. They have a format. And they said, when we find out the exact location, that's when we would do flyers. Mm. You know? um, but, you know, it's been a month. I don't expect anything to change. Uh, I also started this journey back in 2009. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's a month in 13 years? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a drop in the bucket. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could say right now that the past year has been really life-changing in the sense that I really started leaning into um, like really nurturing my identity um, and, and exploring the things that were really uncomfortable for me, you know, because it was easy for me to hide behind accolades. It, like if you, if I had met you guys a few years ago, I'd have been like, hey, my name is Kim and I have two master's degrees and this is my career and this is what I do. But I, I, I will tell you mm -hmm. nothing about myself. Mm -hmm. It's strictly surface level and only accolades. <laughs> you know, you'd be very impressed with my LinkedIn page. Exactly. Which <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've never seen my Twitter. Yeah. Never. Um, so, yeah, just learning how to kind of put the pride aside and um, come to terms with a lot of things. Um, I know that people kind of use the term like coming out of the fog, right? Um, I would really say that coming out of the fog happened for me in 2010, but I didn't know what to do stepping out of the fog, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and it, I don't think it was up until like two years ago where I really started being intentional with what I was doing, whether it was taking Korean lessons or like researching more, watching more K-dramas, <laughs> uh, you know, having conversations with people in my life who I trusted a great deal with these thoughts. Um, so, yeah. Um, and here I am in Michigan. How I got here, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really cool because um, actually when I had joined this reading group about a year ago, I had met some awesome people scattered all over the place. And one of these people were from Michigan. And we just kind of clicked right away. And I was like, hey, this is like what I'm looking to do in life. I'm looking for a change. I'm looking to move. I just want to wear. Um, now, mind you, like prior to that, I had been looking to move for like a year and a half. So I just made a list of places and I just started visiting for like short weekends to mm. see if I liked it. Most places I didn't like. Um, and then, so she's like, Hey, anytime you want to come here, I'm down to meet you. Like we can hang out. And I was like, cool. How's next week? <laughs> <laughs> and I pretty much booked a flight and I was there. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is so embarrassing. So I come to Michigan Totally ignorant of, again, my own feelings, because that's what I like to do. I like to 
ah, squish those things down. Like they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Come to Michigan again with one of my good friends. And um, my friend who was already here said, hey, I put this to get, get together and 10 people are going. And I was like, 10 people? Who has <laughs> that many friends? I'm like, what do you mean 10 people? <laughs> okay, that's cool. She's like, you sure that's fine? I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I go to this place and my friend is like, hey, look at all your cousins. <laughs> There's so many Asian people around. And I was like, yeah, there is. Like, I, I just didn't know what to do. So we go in, we're ordering our food and stuff. And my friend comes up to me. It was the first time I had seen her in person. So it was awesome to see her. And um, she's like, yeah, whenever you're ready, come outside. We're at this table. And I was like, cool. I already started having a panic attack. And then I go outside. I go to this table. And there's all these Korean adoptees. And I was like, yeah, I think all the blood just left my entire body because I froze up. I didn't know how to speak. Like, I, I really forgot how to speak English. And I just sat there stunned and in total shock. And as much as I was uncomfortable, as many times as I had to get up and go to the bathroom because I would cry or I had to go give myself therapy and walk myself through the anxiety. um, It was also the first time I felt really seen. Mm. But meanwhile, I said absolutely nothing. Right. Not a word. And uh, yeah, everybody just kind of went on with their lives and they were having conversations. And I remember at one point somebody asked me a very direct question and I just stared at her like I I, my huh? answer is right my, here. My salary, brain bad, English broken. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you repeat that and then actually don't repeat it? Could you repeat that and immediately pass me a whiskey or something? And like, move just, on to the next just, person. Yeah, just, exactly. Please and thank you. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll try so, again. As though I didn't think it could get any worse, I was thinking like, oh my gosh. Like I was hyper fixated on my food for whatever reason. <laughs> I said, like, oh, I'm really hungry, but I'm not hungry. I want to eat this food because it'd be a waste if I don't. And then I was like, hey, can I borrow your fork to somebody <laughs> like I had never met? And they were like, uh, I don't think you want to use this fork. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I might as well just crawl into the corner right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody at the table shouts out like well now we now we know how we get covid and i was like wow <laughs> this is so embarrassing <laughs> when they hear this story they'll know exactly who they are <laughs> but yeah so i remember leaving that night and i was just completely broken inside um but also excited at the same time because it's so healing to be around others and nobody talked about their story you know, nobody talked about their history and everything. So you're just like, yeah, you know, cool. What do you do for a living? Oh, you're a therapist. Cool. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm a therapist. I don't know. Um, yeah. So it was really awesome. And then I remember just kind of processing that on the flight back. And my friend had asked me, like, what do you think? I was like, I don't know what I think. I think I just peed my pants in front of everybody. Know? <laughs> I think I just asked for that fork and it yes. didn't work out. Yes. Oh, used fork like a moron. <laughs> and it didn't work out. Yeah. And they said no, like a moron. They, no. No. <laughs> they had the audacity to say yeah. no. Like, no, this it's 2020. We can't just yeah. give forks to people. <laughs> 
Yeah, my friend will never let me live that moment down. Um, so yeah, it's funny. So I get back home. I walk through the door of my apartment, and I immediately said, "This is no longer my home." I knew that Michigan was going to be my next place. So I was like, "Let me just be sure. Let me go back out there." So a few months later, I like I went back out and try to get that guy's fork. Yeah, let me go see if I can get a fork, and yeah. then that'll make God. it. I'll make so it we're gonna angry. have a replay. Of yeah. this. you should have just brought a whole bunch of forks and started handing them out as yeah. <laughs> gifts. You get a fork, fork for you. you. A fork. Here's a fork for you. <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, so I come back out. It was a little better, but I was still very anxious. I was still mm-hmm. very nervous and all this stuff. So I was just a blabbering mess. I'm sure I said things I probably shouldn't have. I don't really know, but um, anyway. So you know, I I just kind of kicked it into high gear. I was able to like search for apartments and jobs and stuff like that. And no joke, I was working with a really close deadline of October and two days before I was supposed to move, I received job offers. So mm-hmm. mind you, I had spent these months like hustling it out and doing all these things. And it came down to why I was like, yes, I'm not going to be homeless. All right. <laughs> so yeah, um, it worked out really well. And since I've been here, it's been very peaceful for me. Um, I'm also really I'm surrounded by these amazing people who are extremely supportive um and so caring and so generous and like they they have been there from the beginning whatever you need just let us know so on and so forth it was a different support um uh compared to what i've experienced before you know and it's like man i don't need anything i'm good okay i'm hyper independent over here I can survive. I know exactly what to do. I I used to sell watches out of the trunk of my car when I was a teenager. So I, I can do almost anything. Uh, but anyway, so, <laughs> you know, but, um, but learning in the process how to receive help from people and not believe that they necessarily want something in return, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's not one of those things where, hey, I'll love you if you do this for me. Right. It's like, hey, I love you because I want to love you, you know? So it's definitely been a journey for sure. Um, and so being vulnerable, being on this podcast is really difficult. <laughs> um, but I knew that when I went to submit the form, it's kind of similar to what I tell clients. If you're doing the same thing all the time, you're getting the same results. Mm. And you don't like them. Why don't you try something different to get a different outcome? Um, and that's kind of what I had to tell myself. Um, and it's proven to be really beneficial so far. And now here you are. And now here I am. In here you are. Um, <laughs> I want to say, first off, thank you for sharing so much of your story so <laughs> vulnerably. Um, really appreciate it. I think I speak for myself, but I think I can speak for all of us here when we talk about the privilege of being on the receiving end of someone's story. Um, you know, I think it was laid bare in the telling of yours. Mm-hmm. And I just want to affirm you because I know you talked about you started this journey in like 2009, 2010. Didn't really start doing that deep, deep dive until about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And before we got on the show, you had mentioned to KJ and I, you're like, I'm worried about sharing this publicly and you know am i talking coherently am i able to tell this story and i just wanted to affirm you in that you told it so beautifully so eloquently so well um touching on so much of it and what i took away from it 
um, this overall overarching narrative of your own lived experience is that you were building up to this point of being able to share it. I could tell Mm -hmm. that you've been sharing in bits and pieces, but it feels like this is to me felt like one of the first times you've been able to like really go from point A to point Z or wherever we're at currently and be able to walk that whole path. So I really appreciate you being able to walk us through this entire journey because we don't always have that in stories because some people are still piecing it together. Some people only want to share certain pieces and you know that's okay wherever somebody's at to be able to share that's amazing and i just wanted to say thank you for sharing that with us and what the other things that really stuck out to me is what got me thinking is all of these things you talk about in this hindsight mindset because mm-hmm. that's where i that's where a lot of my story has been at lately it's really been in this reflection piece and two things that i wrote down as you were sharing were actually three things, two questions. One's like, where's this anger coming from as you're, as a child, when you think back and you're looking back at your childhood, obviously from your, from your lived experience, the things that you had to go through, that's where a lot of that is coming from. But like really thinking about and questioning, why is this here? How can a child be carry so much of this burden, so much of this anger to then go into the second question, which is why did no one find this behavior alarming? Mm -hmm. And I think, that question really hit home for me because I'm thinking about like, even though our lived experiences are wildly different, just thinking about the, some of the things that I did to act out. And it's like, how did nobody realize that there were other questions that we should have been asking? Like, this isn't normal behavior, right. but we're hand waving it off like it is. And then something you said, probably, I think right around in the middle, it's like you, you had talked about no one had ever seen you in a specific way before and then you were able to finally be seen Mm -hmm. and I think that just was really really powerful to me because it's like it's not the epitome obviously all none of our no one single story represents everyone in the adoptee community or everyone's experience but that want that that yearning to be seen to be heard to be validated is so powerful and so central I feel like to a lot of our communities and really honestly a lot of any or any marginalized community any person that mm-hmm. has felt the oppressive boot of a number of different things capitalism patriot the patriarchy whatever it might be who has just wanted to say hey I'm here and I do and I do matter and just and being not only being able to have somebody say that to you, but then be able to just then say that to yourself, I think is so powerful. And I feel like all of those things I just felt radiate out of your story. And mm. I feel like it's I feel like not only is it a is it a pleasure and a privilege for us to be able to hear and then facilitate this, but honestly for our listening audience, like I think it's a real privilege and treat to be able to share your story with them because I do think that it brings, it does what we have set out to do on the show, which is to bring a balance, to bring nuance, to inject, to to strip the binary and inject different, the, the plurality of what it means to be an adoptee. So mm-hmm. all of that to say, I don't actually have a question, which is normally <laughs> how my long diatribes go, but I just really, really was was taken in with with your story and I thought it was really, really powerful. There's tons to unpack. But I really appreciate you again walking us from point A to point Z. I, I thought that was really, really well done. Thank you, thank you. So it didn't sound like a toddler <laughs> trying to piece together their first words. Okay, cool. Not at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. And yeah. also, I mean, the fact that you filled out your uh, guest uh, form 
to come on the show what six months ago, but so much information was in that prior to what you've told us uh, just now too. You know, you hadn't gone to uh, um, to Korea yet. You hadn't uh, you, you hadn't moved, correct? You hadn't moved to Michigan. Nope. Yet. So all of these these new bits of information um, are kind of new from to us because we read the the form. Mm-hmm. Um, but your form itself had so much information. Mm-hmm. It was very you know just well narrated on on your feelings and things things that have happened and i know some of the things you've said already you know just now that you know repeat some of that stuff but but there was just to hear the emotion in your voice to hear you know the additional bits of information that we didn't know i think was very valuable and definitely uh, like patrick said i very I appreciate everything that you said and you know letting us come along with that story um especially you know knowing that you have found some of a community in, in uh, Michigan too, I think is, is so valuable and uh, really uh, happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. Who knew I'd find people out in the middle of nowhere. I don't. <laughs> you know, we know a lot of, we know actually a lot of uh, cats in, in Michigan. So yeah. where exactly are you in Michigan? Um, I'm in Ipsilanti. Ipsilanti. If I'm pronouncing it right. Locals say it's apparently I don't know where Michigan is. So (laughs) you don't know. That's right. You don't. I don't know where anything is because I'm a I'm a dumb idiot. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you dumb idiot. (laughs) Got me. Uh, No, I want to echo what my co-host said. I think it is it is a really beautiful story. I think hearing what I mean the the narrative arc. I mean it like is literally a movie, right? Where you go from being adopted and feeling unseen and all of the harm and the the tragedy from so many different parties of regularly being unseen to finally being seen. It sounds like both like from a, a divine perspective, but also uh, like here in the physical world by like mm-hmm. people who, who love you, people who understand you and people for whom there need be no translation um, is, is so powerful and so wonderful. And it does, it does feel like, I won't say it's A to Z, but it certainly feels like there has been a a section of your life that maybe is able to be closed or mm-hmm. at least like you can put the pen down um, and you can like, you can go back and read any time, but like you're done writing that section. Um, mm. And, and I'm curious now, like, I love that you had a 10 year gap between like your, like coming out of the fog moment to like, actually I'm going to do the work because sometimes that's how it happens. And I think for the three of us, it happened very quickly. We're like, come out of the fog, have our like apocalyptic, like our moment of revelation and then immediately dive into, all right, so what does it mean for me and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And apparently we started the podcast. Somewhere yeah, I was like, and yeah, now I got to start a podcast with <laughs> yeah, two exactly. strangers. Just the things that you do. Right. <laughs> and so I love even, yeah, even from the, and I think it, it is often that you have those like, I don't know. Suddenly I woke up and I was like, Oh shit, I'm adopted. And that means, and I got to figure all this out. Right. But for you, it was like, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm going to deal with this later. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and it was, and it was 10 years. And so some of those things had time to percolate. Some of those things, mm-hmm. maybe you just set aside and, and now you're, now you have time to sit and percolate on them. So I'm curious, where are you? I know you're just coming off a trip from Korea, uh, but like broadly speaking, where are you sitting, feeling, what are you experiencing as an adoptee, as a Korean, as this version of yourself? Hmm. That's a really big question. That's a really big question. I I haven't, since I've been back from Korea, I have not fully processed what happened. I, I, I've barely spoken to my friends whom I traveled with as well, right? Because right now I just don't really know what to say. 
um, besides like Sunamine or like a GIF, just let them know like, hey, we're all still alive, you know, because that's what <laughs> adult friends do. Um, but... I don't I don't text my friends, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we know that we're not Patrick's friends because we get texts from him all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, so I haven't pieced it together, but um, I don't think it was until yesterday I actually sat down and would look through pictures because that's for me how I, I process things like through some type of photo and or listening to music or spending time writing. Um, it'll just start um, unraveling itself, you know, um, I'll look at pictures. I'll just kind of remember like the sounds and smells and. What, what was crazy for me is that I felt on a very visceral level, right? But I also felt very comforted being there. But mentally, I was in pieces, mm. you know, because I'm overthinking and analyzing everything, blah, 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 blah. Yep. But anyway, so, you know, where I am now, I'm actually in a really comfortable place. Um, because... My, I feel like identity development doesn't necessarily stop at a certain point. It's always going to be evolving, or at least that's what I think. Um, but I feel more confident and comfortable in who I am as a uh, Korean-American. Mm. Um, I'm not so ashamed to be around other Koreans because I used to be. Mm. Same. So used Love to it. be. Oh my gosh, that self hatred is so real. Mm-hmm. And Very I real. just like sidebar, like I totally was not into Asian guys, and I was like, no, <laughs> don't you dare look at me. <laughs> but uh, it, it was really, you know, it wasn't really a thing back then. But um, now, even when I was in Korea, I would look at couples, and I would be like, wow, they are they are so beautiful together. It's just a different lens I see through now, you yeah. know. And I was like, wow. Has this beauty been here this whole time? Like, what have I been missing? <laughs> Has my vision changed? What's yeah. going on? Exactly. Here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say I'm definitely in a good place. I'm in a really good place. Um, I'm really excited to move forward. Um, I'm still scared, right? Like, I'm developing new relationships with people. That's scary. Um, I could have met with them 50 times already, but I'll still be scared. Um, you know, that vulnerability, that wanting to, you know, I want to take my relationships differently in terms of, I want to be intentional hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take this for granted. Um, because I don't know if everybody realizes the healing that they've provided me, which has been such a gift, which was a piece I didn't know I was missing. Um, because I thought I had life figured out, like life was good. Um, I was no longer suffering from depression. I, I was really successful in my career, all these different things, you know? And I was like, what else do I possibly need? Koreans, apparently. So, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that's kind of what has been, um, the best part of this year on top of going to Korea. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I hope I it, it kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like what you said. I really quickly, I just wanted to say, I like what you said about like your identity work will always be evolving. Like it's always going to be ongoing. And I just wanted to clarify when I said points A to Z, I'm looking at it like the like Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. So Z is not the end. Now it goes to double, it double A, a. Double, B, double B, double C. There's continuation. <laughs> there. So I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> so again, I'm happy that you're, you're in a much better place now. Um, the community that you found, the move. Um, you know, the 
you know, you just said you didn't want to call it really religious, but spiritual or whatever you've, you know, you found. Um, are there other things, and you kind of briefly mentioned the writing group and stuff, are there other things that you have found uh, that have helped you in this time? Um, mm. Yeah, so the writing group has definitely been a big part. And then there's like another hangout group. And then there's like a CADS kids free group that I'm into. <laughs> and like all these really cool the CADS events. after dark. But I've um, uh, been more comfortable putting things out there publicly in writing. You know, um, I do work for a private practice and they do actually have a blog specific, you know, for the therapist there. And they always wanted to be as, you know, open and honest as you're willing. Um, they've recently asked me to write something specifically related to adoption and birth family searching. Um, so I've definitely allowed myself to be out there a little more. Um, like I've written something for Khan before. Um, um, I'm also like trying to develop a website for Korean adoptee stories in written form, you know. Um, uh, and what else? And and being open to asking questions, mm, yeah. you know, uh, and being okay with not having the answer. Yeah. What kind of questions are you asking right now? Uh, is it snack time? <laughs> <laughs> That's a legit I mean, question. I it think is that question. is a legit segue <laughs> into our food portion. Let's go. <laughs> that was great. Welcome back to the John G Show food portion. This is food where we portion. eat. Food. This is the oh, Kim has been waiting for this moment. To <laughs> <I have>. Eat. <laughs> she, no, demanded just, she, she demanded it. She demanded it. She's the first you guest her. who demanded. That's amazing. Like, Let's now eat I want snacks. a guest to be like, you know what? Can we actually start with the food? I know. <laughs> like, I'll tell my story later. Can we? Start oh, we don't. With this? We yeah. don't do food the whole time. We don't, I don't do, know, you, you don't do food the whole I time. Thought, I thought we eat throughout the entire show. This isn't a mukbang. Kind of buy a thousand pounds of rice. <laughs> Why not make all this food? What? All right. <clears throat> so that list I sent you—did you buy like everything? On the list if you, if you I found tried it? looking for all of them, but the only one I could find were the dream cakes. Yeah. Well, these look good. I, I'm—I don't know what they're going to be like, but we are eating Lotte's dream cake cacao. Cacao um, flavor. Yeah, cacao yeah. flavor the, premium uh, pie with the cream filling. Yep. <laughs> cream filling. filling. However, every time I've seen a picture that looks like cream filling, it just it's not as creamy as that. So I'm hoping it is. That's Korean snacks minimal on the filling. Marshmallow yeah. goodness. I don't know. It, it, you know. Generally. Yeah, I don't want it but, to be marshmallowy though. I don't know. But I, I knew Patrick liked chocolate, so I got a lot more chocolate this round. So <laughs> I would tell you, I would tell our listeners more about it. But Nathan, uh, I like steak. Get only more steak. Me I'll get more steak items for you. <laughs> it also has Russian on the box. So what I don't know what that's it? about. Yeah. KJ likes, so, as oh we found gosh. out last episode, yeah. KJ likes cheese, and I, I like chocolate. I do like cheese. No <laughs> clue what that is. Oh, yeah, but, that's right. <laughs> but it looks like a moon pie. I don't know. This is going to be, uh, you know. Look at choco, a choco pie. pie. Yeah. I hope yeah, it's not it smells like, like a moon pie. Yeah. Um, the Korean is mong sue sue su e 
I don't know. It's I've never seen it. I mean, I probably have, but do we yeah. all bite this at the same time? Or? I mean, you can just bite it. We can just want. dive right <laughs> into <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Patrick's probably already had three. So. <laughs> you only sent me two. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh no! <laughs> no crumbly. Yeah. Crumble. Very no crumbly. I think I got all mine in my mouth. The chocolate's rich nope. though. It's crumbly. Really mm. It's kind of like dark. That's a lot more filling than normal. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And a normal Korean snack, I mm-hmm. should say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not bad. I gotta take a couple more bites. Hmm. This is like a one biter though, because it's melting onto my fingers and it's yeah. crumbling apart. I know. I was like, I need to finish this one so I can <laughs> not have chocolate on my fingies. Oh my fingies. Man. So I hope no one's allergic to peanut now that I ask. Better go check on your kid. Yep, I won't give it to him. I don't love having to stand up and brush the crumbs, but uh, yeah, there's no way around it. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this, but uh, no way. There's no it. way around it. There's no way I can stick it. See, okay, so here's the deal. My solution to things that break apart when you eat them in half, like, for example, a piece of sushi. So I see some people try to like bite that in half. I'm like, just put the whole thing in the your mouth. The whole thing in your mouth. And they're like, oh no, why did the sushi break when it break? Whatever. So, but this is way too large to put it into is. my mouth hole. Wait, what? So, I think it's tiny. This thing is. <laughs> in what world, sir? I'll put this in whole Patrick's thing in my mouth. World. All right, do it right now. In All right, Patrick, All right. in the world. This is like, have world. you not? Is that not how you eat cupcakes? So you just put the whole thing in your mouth? The whole yeah. thing? Yeah, because it falls yeah. apart if you bite it in half. Oh, my gosh. I'm, no, you're supposed to say. cut the bottom my, off of it and then put it on the top uh, and make a sandwich. cavity. Do it. Oh, man, wow. look at that. He did it like a champion. He did. Nope, I cannot. I can't. My mouth hole apparently oh. is too small. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the chocolate is oily. I thought I was going to come away with chocolate on my hands, but I didn't. So now I don't know what's on my fingers. Oh, That's I have chocolate on chocolate. my hands. I never I, ate it quick enough. Uh, concerning the chocolate, I, I definitely feel concerning, concerning chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> isn't, this a, isn't this a fine review show? Yeah, Nathan of Clamnock. Concerning <laughs> the chocolate, I, I, I was trying to be great, proper. Great grandfather in 1847, <laughs> who first invented the chocolate. <laughs> the chocolate fiends of Oklahoma. Speaking of the chocolate, no, um, <laughs> I I like the chocolate. I think it was the darker flavor of this chocolate uh it, it definitely is different than the choco pie um I, I think there is a richer a, i think yeah it's richer mm-hmm. and the actual uh filling i also think is different than a choco pie uh I, it's it doesn't like i don't know it's not as as chewy as the choco pie filling this one's more it really is like a cream filling where it goes you know you bite right through it uh i'm gonna say i like it better than a choco pie <laughs> Oh, <laughs> this feels like the fancier, I feel like the like, level yeah. up version of a choco pie. I, I think so. I, I mean, feel like I haven't had a choco pie in a long time. Well, I, I have like a ton answer. in my my pantry right now, and I'm gonna go compare later. Um, well, send me I know one. the pants makes sense, but I, I expected you to just say I have a ton in my pants, and I was like, why? And then you said you finished a pantry. I was like, that makes no. That's a, this is a normal English sentence. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. And then he finished I, speaking. <laughs> I yeah, apologize. Um, I'm an idiot. And then you should see my pants pantry. No, <laughs> Nathan. no, <laughs> Nathan. 
Hey, then, just... Very... Just give it a loop. Just put it on. <laughs> just put it on <laughs> What do you... Kim, what do you think about it? Not bad. It's not over overly sweet. It seems like it's a pretty good balance. Mm-hmm. It, it is really cr- crumbly, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely can't eat this in the car. True. Definitely not too good bad. Good um, Just think if it was like 70 degrees outside, the thing would be <laughs> melted right on your hand. Yep. In the yeah. car. But it's pretty darn good. Yeah. I'm. I'm uh, this is a keeper. Mm-hmm. It's fancy. Out of five, what would you give it? A four. Oh, a four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. That's good. That's a good one. Um, Nathan? I'm going to go... F- oh. I almost want to say 4.5, but I'm going to back it down. 4.25. 4.25. Why'd you back it down a, a, a point two five? Um, I want to say the crumbliness of it and how quickly it melts. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that could be a good thing in some things, but... um, But like you said, I, I don't want to... You know, it's just making a mess over here. So I don't know. I, I like it. Everything's well balanced. So that's why four two five to five four point five. That's why I'm, I'm in that <laughs> general region there. It's not a perfect. It's approximately it's one like quarter. Four point three, <laughs> four point three two. You know, yeah. just right but in I, that area. But I think I I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back. But I think I gave a choco pie like a four or something. Mm. Um, maybe even less. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely say it's above a choco pie. Okay. Um, I'm gonna Too give good. this a four, uh, which I think is pretty high for me for a sweet snack. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. It's really filling. Uh, I would as I was entirely satisfied with one. I ate the second one because I needed to like prepare my statement. First one, I needed to experience <laughs> it. The second one, I needed to think about it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. Uh, it was like it feels like a proper mouthful like a proper uh, dessert kind of candy, not candy, but you know, like a dessert thing, dessert snack, snack I guess. Yeah. With coffee and um, tea. Yeah. In a way that like a choco pie feels maybe a little less than, uh, and some other, you know, dessert snacks can feel a little less than. So yeah, overall entirely satisfying. I like the richness. If it is a darker chocolate, like it, it you know, it is kind of well balanced for my, apparently I'm the kind of adult who drinks decaf coffee at night with my dessert, like an idiot. So decaf coffee dude it's just like you know like when you have that slice of cheesecake and it's too sweet and you're like yes i would like a decaf coffee thank you i've never <laughs> once said yes yeah. i would like a decaf Apparently coffee. i'm that i'm that that type of girl so whatever. 32 in 32 I years agree. i can fine. only have decaf if uh, at night if yeah I'm so but anyways four out of five um okay. i'm gonna be, i'm gonna give it a four as well um uh, I was gonna say something about it. Now I forgot. So that's probably where the other point. Expired, and maybe that's Uh, why we're giving it. Why we're thinking it's so. That is very true. That might even just take it to a five, just because it's not expired. (laughs) Um, No, I was gonna say that the filling is definitely more substantial than the Mm. choco pie. Mm -hmm. I don't, but I haven't had one of those in so long. I don't know if I could say this is better than that. I think. I don't know. I I think your description of it being the more highfalutin version of. the choco pie is accurate maybe but yeah. i need to go try that again so i'm no, gonna it's go like for you got like a chili's and then one step above is like a magianos i don't know if that magianos okay no. that i mean it does say that's fine oh, i thought you're gonna say like tgis no, TGIFs? that's the same that's the same. fridays and chili's and applebee's are all the same tier oh chili's Agreed. chili's applebee's whatever that that tier step up is like cheesecake factory oh, okay <laughs> 
it's all like right. that. This is the cheesecake factory to the chilies of the choco pie. All right, this, I this guess is a that perfect metaphor. Holla at me. So then you you're putting like a cheesecake factory on like a lazy dog level too. I don't know what lazy dog is. Lazy dog. Why is America so regional? Whatever. You're putting a lazy dog on the dog and suds level? Yeah. Oh, you guys don't know what dog and suds is? No. <laughs> I'm very dumb. Uh, no, it's just like we're Tony talking about robots? regional restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, nobody knows. Like, yeah, sure. I don't know I what know. that is. <clears throat> all right. Well, with all of that humorousness out of the way, um, I don't even know what I was going to say. Kim, thank you so much for coming on yes, and sharing your story with you us. Thank you so much. Um, would love to have you back in the future as you continue to move down this path, as your identity continues to evolve, as ours will, I'm sure. Uh, but would love to share in a conversation with you again, but can't thank you enough uh, for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Again, thank you for giving this space, not just for myself, but for other adoptees as well. And uh, what a way to practice exposure therapy. <laughs> um, but I'm happy I got to do it with you guys first. So, yeah. Well, and snacks don't hurt. It. Just saying. Nice. It's a good addition. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to take a moment and just, just call out. Um, for, for our listeners' edification, Kim, can you explain how you found the John Chi show? Do you remember? Uh. How did I find? Hmm. So on your on your guest form, you wrote, um, "I found the Janji show just by searching adopted podcast and maybe oh. Korean on looking Apple up podcast. adoptees and Korean adoptees." Yeah, yes, yes, um, yes, yes, which is really really wonderful. And and I wanted to just give you a shout out because I think for many reasons you represent kind of a, even as as we talk about your story at this point being like pretty like full narrative you represent for us another kind of cycle of like full narrative because mm -hmm. Patrick first kind of started his, his podcast journey, journey, his Asian American journey is whatever journey by just Googling Asian podcast in, it was an Asian American podcast and just Asian American. Yeah. Yeah. And, in Stitcher. Stitcher. and that's how I found dear Asian Americans. And that's, I mean, that's like how really without that, like, I don't know that the John G show would exist. And you wrote some things in our, in our guest form that um, just really encapsulate like, who we want to be. Um, and you're yeah. really gracious with that, uh, about why your why for coming on the podcast. And so we're really, really grateful to be a part of your journey to like, not only just like in the, in you telling your story, but even just in you listening and being like, yeah, this is this, I think this is a safe space for me. So thank you for letting us be part of your journey. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I think that what you are all doing is really important. Um, so I hope even if you have moments where you want to minimize everything you've done and the things that you will do, I hope you realize that like somebody like me or other guests that you've had or people even considering coming on the show, that you're giving this really sacred space for people to come in and just bear like these really vulnerable places, you know, those secret places, right? That we tend that we may want to hide from others. Um, but you know, just you being here also encourages me, encouraged me to want to do it, you know, do the scary things. Even creating a podcast is scary. Like I, I thought about it and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Lots of credit to you guys for what you do. Damn, Kim, you're going to make me cry. Um, I really appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate that. You did really right. You did write some really nice things about, uh your wife coming on the show i'm glad kj that you highlighted that and uh it yeah it just means a lot um 
And so for anybody else who's out there who might be listening, who might be interested in potentially coming on, sharing their story in whatever form or capacity, we would love to have you. Uh, you can go to at John Chi Show on any social media platform to find us. If you go to our Instagram, there is a link in our bio where you can find out how you can sign up to be a guest on the show. You can also go to johnchishow.com to do that as well, I believe. But you can also check out a bunch of other stuff like our store, our support page, all different kinds of things. Um, if you're so inclined, you can send us an email to johnchishow at justlikemedia.com or leave us a voicemail. Nathan, what's that number? 972-677-8867. 972-677-8867 is that number. And if you are also feeling inclined and you want to support us further, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're listening to that provides that option. That would be great. And we really, really appreciate that as well. Um, if they want to find us out in the world, Nathan, where can they find you? And Noak on Instagram and Nathan Noak on Facebook. I'm at KJ Rilke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. And I am at Patrick in the world on Instagram, Patrick in the world me for my website for everything else that I'm doing again, Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, cannot wait to have you back on the show. Can't wait to continue seeing what you do on your journey and following along with that. Um, fellas can't wait to do it again next week. Uh, and until that time, John, John Chi. Chi. Hey, oh, that was good.